Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. This is a beautiful passage of scripture written by the Hebrew writer to the Hebrew people. It just says, looking diligently. It's going to take some diligence. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root, everyone say root. That's where your nutrients come from. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. When God told us to name the church Life Spring, I felt very compelled that God would help us somehow throughout the course of this church to help people deal with bitterness in their life. And they wouldn't have bitterness springing up, but they would have life springing up in their life. So today I wanna talk to you for just a little bit about hope and healing, what God does in our heart when we put our faith in Him, and what God does to heal us in places we didn't even know we were hurt. Because life has tragic occasions, amen? And as I walk through this today, I hope that you find just that, some hope in the Lord and some healing in your heart. Jesus, help us to minister the word. Spirit, speak, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, everybody said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, worship team, for the amazing job today. I think they're doing fantastic. How about you? Aren't they doing great? It was a quiet dawn morning in March 13, 1933. When a parent healthy redwood clamored and crashed to the forest floor, and the foresters gathered around and wondered how such a great tree fell in its adolescence. Having only 12 centuries of life, whenever a redwood tree typically in California forests have between four and five millennium of normal life. Their girth is massive, and if you've ever visited the redwood forests of California, you're in awe of the massiveness of these trees. But one fell on this fateful day, and of course it is the forest ranger's job to find out if it's a forest situation, if it's a fungus, or if it's a disease that can attack other trees. So they stood around what seemed to be a healthy tree but laid on the forest floor. And they began to unearth in science of chronology and the, the study of the rings of a tree. They began to unearth a story, an autobiography of this tree's life. And they realized that somewhere around the dark ages, it had suffered a massive earthquake. And it struggled through the wounds of that earthquake and it healed. And then again, during the time period of the Renaissance, it had suffered through a fungus that attacked the tree and it fought through several rings and several years of life. It noticed, they noticed that the tree struggled and strived to get through the thing that attacked it in the, in the forest. And, but they noticed that there came a point where the tree grew again and was healthy and had beat the disease that came against it, and it healed. And then again, when the pilgrims were settling on the eastern seaboard, lightning struck the tree and carved a gash into the tree, and the tree suffered through that but healed again. But then there was a place that showed up in the tree and its growth, and they noticed that in one century of time, there was only eight inches of growth in the girth of the tree. It had gone through a time and a season of severe drought, and it only grew eight inches over a century. But then in another century, 
It grew a total of 36 inches in its girth, a time of true uh, nourishment and a time of, uh, of plenty and a time of growth was noticed in the tree. But right around 1810, they noticed that a careless Indian campfire scored a scar up the right or the north side of the tree, about 13 foot, which wouldn't seem like very much to a redwood tree, which stands 320 feet tall on average and weighs in average of 500 tons. A 13-foot scar would seem rather inconsequential for a tree that size. But somewhere throughout the history of the rings, they realized that the support system on the north side of the tree, the roots of the tree got damaged. And with the scar and the damage of the roots, the tree fell one day, one morning to its death. It wasn't supposed to happen because you see in redwood forests, the root system of the trees are all intertwined. The other trees should have held it up, but because the damage was so close to the tree, it fell and wasn't held by its root system. I want you to know that supporting root systems are very important. Looks like in the tree chronologic, chronologically as the foresters looked and analyzed that the tree fought a 13-foot scar for over 120 years. The tree fought the effects of that fire and the trial and the stress of that. And then about 85 years ago, in a cool morning, maybe it was the warming of the molecules as the sun rose in that early breeze that always blows through the forest. Somehow it toppled the tree. Foresters said maybe it was just a small thing. Maybe it was a bird visiting a southern branch on the tips of the trees, but it was enough to bring it down. The thing that would seem mighty and strong, the thing that you'd look at and say, how impressive. It was just a little thing that brought it to the forest floor. As it is in the trees and the nature of studying of the science of trees, I found a similarity to the human heart that organizations and, and churches and individuals themselves, we have demarcations in our heart. We have things that mark out the life and the stages of our life and the seasons and within the heart and soul of mankind are places where you can see wounds that they've been through in life, places where they struggled or they had storm or they had struggle and difficulty. And you can also also see if you look close enough or you talk to them long enough, they begin to share their testimony. And in their testimony, you can see the touch of God in their life and where they were once wounded, but then they healed. And they tell the story of how they could have been bitter, but instead the tragic occasions that came to their life when handed and surrendered to God, when they would cast their cares on him because he cares for them. You find out in their story, Story, if they're still living for God, if they're still serving God, if they still have a sweet spirit that somewhere in the rings of their life there was healing from a scar. But then again, there's others that I've watched I've been in ministry over 20 years and I've seen storms blow through churches and I've seen storms blow through marriages and I've seen storms blow through lives in the same storm that some people I've seen tussle and, and, and shift and try to move and live through. The same things that attack them, I've seen them heal and move on and see God use that very storm and that very struggle to help them to reach somebody else who needed to hear, I went through that, but I made it through it. God helped me. His grace was on me. I did not fail the grace of God. And there wasn't a root of bitterness that rose up in me, but instead my root system stayed intact. I stayed in the word of God and I got my nourishment. When there was no friend to lean on, Jesus was my friend. When there was no place for me to turn, I found my place in his presence. I spent time in God's word and that nursed me and that mentored me and that brought me through a very difficult moment. And if I can get through it, you can get through it. If you just keep Jesus as your root and your source, you see the source of God in our life is what we were designed to be. We were made to be in God. And he said, I'm going to be in you. 
and I'm going to be your source. If you look for a source outside of God, you will never be satisfied. It tells us that we have to be careful. It says looking diligently, being cautious, being careful, being diligently, marking and careful, careful analysis of the root system, the sources that we have. Where are you getting your satisfaction from? Where are you getting your entertainment, your enjoyment, your fun, your good times, your bad times? What, what is the source of where you get your, your affirmation? Where are you getting the things that, that feed the deepest needs of your life? Be careful, my brothers and sisters, the scripture says, be diligent not to let it come from a place of bitterness. Make sure that the difficulties in your life don't become greater than the deity in your life. Let God be the God who heals you. Let God be the one who gives you hope. When the world says it's hopeless, God hasn't had his final say in it. When everybody says there's no way it could ever work, guess what? God is the worker of miracles. Impossible is his everyday action, and he knows how to make something that looks absolutely unrepairable heal. He knows how to take things that hurt from your childhood, things that scarred you for years, you can be like this redwood and fight with it for year after year after year and then just one day it just un unexpected you walk in to the church and they began singing a song that resonated with your spirit and you began to lift your hand and you felt God move over you and you felt a tingle from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and you didn't realize it but when you left you left lighter that day somehow in the course of that service there was a healing that took place and you left healed from a wound that others would never heal from somehow there are yet others struggling with wounds that never healed i've watched grown men 60 and 70 years old still chasing after affirmation from a father that never told them that he loved them i've watched people chase after relationships outside their marriage because they weren't getting kindness in their marriage and they weren't getting the love they thought they needed and they stepped out, not because they're bad people, but because they didn't understand the source of where they were getting their strength from or the source of where they were getting their love from. The Bible says God is love. I'm thankful I know that because I've been through many hard times. She was beautiful, she was elegant, she was charming, she had an understated quality of drawing friends to herself and, and the accident that day was freakish. It wasn't normal, it was just supposed to be an everyday ride but somehow the horse got spooked and she was thrown and she woke up in a hospital bed paralyzed from the neck down. How could God do this? to her how is it possible that life would go on with no use of her limbs but yet that day that freakish accident happened and as she began to heal and learned how to make do with life and learn what it was like to live in a wheelchair she slowly became more and more bitter with the situation and finally her friends began to recoil from the bitterness in her life because every time she got around them she was just spew out all of this stuff all this bitterness in her life and even family members began to back away because of the bitterness that was in her life because she had to vent the venom somewhere she had to release it somewhere and so if you got close to her it only take about five minutes for her to begin to tell the reason why she's so mad and angry all the time because I'm stuck to this wheelchair and I didn't ask for this life, and I didn't ask to do what I have to do every day. Why couldn't my life be the same as everybody else? And one day a friend came that saw the greatness of her bitterness and told her the story of the legend of the canyons. The story goes like this. There was once a master who created the world. We know that is God. But the story calls him just the master and he created beautiful meadows and beautiful plains and beautiful places where 
you could walk and see all the beautiful things that he had created. And he called for the birds and he spread the seeds. And he called for the wind and he spread the seeds of the flowers that he loved the best. And as those flowers were spread across the earth, he noticed that in the plains and the meadows, there was no shade, no place for them to hide. And so they sprung up quickly. But when the sun came up and the sun was punishing, they quickly withered and died. And so the master took a lightning bolt and he carved out the earth and he created great canyons and gashed great wounds in the earth's structure. And then he called for the birds and he called for the wind again and he sent the flowers, the, the seeds of the flowers that he loved the best. And once again in the meadows, they sprung up and died in the harshness of the sun. But in those deep wounds, in those valleys and in those crevices, Still to this day, the most beautiful and fragrant flowers grow because it is in those places of wounds that he chose to hide beautiful things. I don't know why I'm weeping. I don't know why I'm so struggling, but I tell you this, two years, we're three years into this building, and in the first year, someone drove their car through that back window, and I stood there, and the devil told me, this is how your ministry looks. I can take at will what I want from you. That's what I felt the devil tell me. And I stood up and I said, God, you are a God of protection. You are a God of hope and a God of help, and you are a God of healing. And I don't want this to be a bitterness for me. Would you help us with this? And not only did her insurance company pay for everything, but we got the ugly mural off the wall that I hated because <laughs> she ran her car through it. <laughs> and I went digging in the rubble and I said, devil, you're a liar. I don't care what you try to drive into this church. I'm going to drive it back out in prayer. I don't care what you do in somebody's life. I'm going to try to help them have hope. I'm going to try to help them heal. This is a place for healing. This is a place for hope. You speak any lie you want to. I believe that if you said it, it's a lie. You know if the devil's lying, if his mouth is moving, he's lying. And so if he's saying something or if he's threatening you in any way, guess what? In Jesus Christ, it's the opposite. It. If he said, you're not enough, you're never going to make it. You can never have a good relationship. You're never going to have the kind of marriage you want. If he's saying that to you and speaking those fears into your life, guess what? There's a hope in this place. There's a healing in this place. And it can change everything the enemy has said to be different. God, walk me to that back room. There's just shards of glass everywhere. Then. The building inspector came over because I thought we were going to get shut down until they figured out if it was structurally sound because she not only drove through the windshield and through the little vestibule, but she parked her car in the nursery. And thank God it was Father's Day. And thank you know the story. And little um, the situation was where baby Cindy was in there just playing with the toys. But we had, we had Dad's Day donuts. Everybody loves Dad's Day donuts. I know I do. You can tell I'm just hiding it a little bit here. But I absolutely loved the day. And I had left to go pick up somebody at the bus stop. And I was coming back. And when I pulled in, there was a fire truck sitting there. I didn't know there was a vehicle embedded in the building. I just was like, uh oh, what happened, dear Lord? And I started to pray. And I walked up and the fire, the lieutenant was standing there. And I was talking to him. And then I realized there's a car in the window had driven in and she had gotten out and we took care of everything and they pulled the car out and the inspector came and he said, you won't believe this, but she missed every major structural issue in this room. There is nothing here that is not unsound, even though we have never seen a car driven into a building this far. And I was like, Lord, only you can do this. Only you can keep this. And I don't know why it had to happen, but I went digging through the glass and I found the J to the Jeep. <laughs> And I stuck it in my office. I said, this J might mean Jeep for them, but it came off the vehicle, and now it means Jesus to me. So I still have this setting on my thing, and I tell you that I could have been bitter. I could have said, you know what? Why is it easier for someone else to start a church, and we have to have a car drive into ours? But you know what? They put it in the newspaper. 
I had people say, you know what? I heard about that. I heard about your church. I heard about the lady that parked her car in her nursery. It got publicity. Maybe not publicity we wanted, Leah, but it was publicity nonetheless. But I walked away from it saying, you know what? If God wants to do something with that, I'll let him do it. I don't know why it had to happen, and I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now. There is something that came to your life and your heart. There is a relationship or a person that did you wrong, and you can say, no, I know God didn't bring it, but he allowed it because God allows everything in the course of time. But you can stand up and say, if he gave it, if he put it in my life, the devil might call it a Jeep and an attack, but I call it Jesus protecting us, Jesus letting people know we're here, and Jesus helping us. You can turn it around and change the way you see it if you will force yourself to reject bitterness. And so, as the story went, he told the story to her, and she sat in her wheelchair, and that day, the fountain of forgiveness broke forward in her heart and tears ran down her face and she realized that she had pushed everything she loved away in her bitterness. Bitterness will ruin every good thing in your life because when it becomes your root, it becomes your fruit. And you have to understand that the Bible tells us I don't want to get too deep on anybody here, but let me just preach, okay? The Bible tells us in Thessalonians 5.19, I might not get to all this, fellas, back there. I, I may not get to all of it, but I'm trying. God gives us purpose, and he brings great joy to our life, but there are times when we have to take the things that have come that we did not like, and we have to use them for the glory of the Lord, Amen. Does anybody believe there's a story in you? Does anybody believe it's for God's glory? Does anybody understand that you give God glory when you give him your story? How do you give God glory? A God who has all glory. He lacks no glory. Then how is it possible that when we stand up here and we say, let's give God glory, what are we saying? You can't give God more glory than he already has. That is true in the eternal. He is God of glory in the eternal. He is holy and righteous, immutable, invisible. The Bible says the only wise God. There is none beside him. You cannot give him more than what he is. He is not added to or subtracted from or he could not be God. But when we say give God glory, we're talking about giving God glory in time or on this earth, which then gives him more glory in eternity. In other words, when you take your story as bad or as good as it may be, I don't know where you are or where you've been in life. I know some of your stories and some of you have taken struggle and turned it and given it to Jesus. And I'm thankful for your story. But I want you to know that when you live for God and when you're faithful to God, and when you gather with the people of God and you just keep saying, I know I've been through some stuff some stuff. I know I've been through some hard places, but I want you to know he's been faithful through it all. He still works. This word still kept me. He's still guiding me every step of every way. When you do that, you give God glory in the earth, and that glory magnifies God in a way that we can say we're giving God glory. When you come here on Sunday, it should be the culmination of a week of prayer and seeking God and being diligent in everything that came against you, analyzing and being wise and processing and saying, God, how do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to move forward? Because I cannot have a root of bitterness in my life. Because bitterness doesn't just affect you. It affects a whole lot more than you. And she learned that that day when she had no friends left because every relationship she used as an outflow of hurt from her heart. And she cried and she wept and God healed her in that moment. And from that moment on, her spirit became soft and God touched her heart 
Ezekiel said, I'm going to take out your stony heart and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. You see, the same fire of trials that melts the wax hardens clay, Scripture says. And the same fire that purifies gold. If you have golden intentions in God, if you're walking with God with every bit of knowledge and revelation that you have, and you've been honest with the word that you've learned and said, God, if it says it here, I want to do it here. If you've been honest with God and had golden intentions, the struggle and the fiery trials that come against you will only purify you as gold. But if you don't have the constitution and the moral value of saying, God, your word has authority. God, your word is where I need to live. I need to be nourished by the water and the washing of the word. You will dry out and become like clay. And then the fiery trial that comes against you will only serve to harden your heart like clay in fire. But if you're not even of the spiritual constitution of dirt, the fire, that same fiery trial will melt you like wax and you will be no longer living for God. See, the thing that's careful for a pastor is the Bible says you who are spiritual, that you are the ones that are to recover those that have, been, that have fallen. And as I speak today, I want you to know that I'm not a pastor who has a heavy hand because I realize that it's kindness that draws us to repentance in Scripture. And any time I've ever been a pastor that came to somebody in a position of authority and said, well, I'm your pastor, you need to listen. Or if I've ever come to them with an ultimatum and said, well, you need to do this or else we just can't do it anymore. I just can't have you in the church anymore. If I've ever gone to that position, God has spoke to me and said, I reach people with kindness. Stay gentle. It's gentleness that helps people to heal. You will not get it by being hard. You'll not get it by being um, difficult or, or ornery. You will find that God heals you when you surrender to him and when your intentions are pure. And so we know that God tells us in his word that if bitterness springs up in us, that many are defiled. Not just you, but many. It was Amnon that caused 40,000 men in scripture to lose their life. Absalom, I'm sorry. It was Absalom that took 40,000 men into his bitterness and they died on the battlefield. Because of one man's bitterness, many were defiled. This guitar is in front of you today because, well, I can't play it. <laughs> Looks better in the stand. <laughs> My grandfather started three churches with just a guitar and a Bible. In the church that he started in Palmer, Alaska, there were things that happened and he got bitter. And as a boy, I didn't even understand, but I knew that Grandpa wasn't living for God. I knew he had fallen away. And later on in life, he told me the story of how he went to a church and he labored and he labored. And the pastor there was in the United States, the lower 48 as they called it. And he was acquiring his funding because Alaska was a mission field. And my grandfather, he labored with those people and he loved those people. Don't get bored. I'll get to the point in just a second. <clears throat> and he had this pastor come home and he said, thank you for your help. Have a good night and shut the door and took the church back over and didn't, somewhere, didn't answer his question of can I stay and help you pastor this church? I don't really know all the details. All I know is my grandfather told me that a bitterness rose up in him and he walked away from God because of bitterness. And as he sat telling me the story, he told me that he was sitting in a boat. He had 
been drinking Jim Beam and Coke all morning. He said, I was drunk. And I was basically nursing this root of bitterness and dealing with it with alcohol. And he said, and a bird flew by and God gave me a sermon. He said, I was drunk, running from God because of my bitterness. I had planted churches. He would stand on the street corner and play this guitar until he got people that gathered around him. And then he put it down and he began to preach Acts 2.38. He began to preach a message of salvation. That's how he started churches. And now here he is 20 years later, drunk in a boat, called by God to preach the gospel. But the Bible says that his gifts are without repentance. God doesn't walk away from his calling even if you walk away from it. God doesn't walk away from his love for you even if you get distant. God doesn't walk away from his care for your life and your kids even if you feel like you've drifted from God. God still loves you. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And so in that moment... My grandfather said, I should not have had a sermon given from a bird flying by. But the Lord reminded him, down in there is still a preacher that knows what's right. He said, I went home, I got on my knees, and I repented, and I went back to God. And my grandfather died a man of God. He went back and visited all the churches that he planted. And he got up to preach, and he only had enough energy to preach about 15 minutes, but brother, he lit the place up. He was like, I'm looking for the day when the Lord shall take me away. I mean, he just like buck and snort and looked like he was fighting a hive of bees. Like, yeah! He was just preaching his socks off. And he's like, I got to sit down. <laughs> He's like 86 at this time. But every one of those churches are still in the United Pentecostal Church. Not, not that it's an organization, don't get me wrong, but I'm telling you there are good people. That church in Palmer has built a new sanctuary. My brother was there for 10 years helping pastor that church, carrying the mantle of a grandfather who said, I'm tired of a bottle to handle my bitterness. I'm tired of not taking something that looked like it was something else and giving it to Jesus. I'm tired of making the bitterness the God of my life instead of letting God heal me. And the last thing I want to tell you is to those of you that are seasoned children of God, hear me carefully. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Thank you, Seth, for helping us today. It says, quench not the spirit. Just quench not the spirit. Four words. Doesn't seem like much, does it? But actually, having a hard heart, having a heart that grows cold to God, doesn't allow God's spirit to function in our lives. When bitterness rises up in us and lodges in the heart, which is where the scripture says bitterness does lodge, we find out that we become hard and we become distant. And whether we know it or not, we are quenching the spirit of God because the spirit of God wants to give us a soft heart. Spirit of God wants to give us a heart that is toward God or that runs after God. So there's a couple ways, and I'm finishing, that we quench the spirit. Number one, the scripture says in this context that we can have contempt against prophecy. We all know people that have used prophecy the wrong way. Someone that says, I have a word from the Lord. And, and they can't even keep things straight Monday through Friday, but they got a word from the Lord. The Bible says in this context to judge the spirit of the prophet or to judge the prophecy, to test those things. In other words, keep what's good, throw out what's bad. Don't have contempt against the speaking of prophecy. When someone prophesies, 
Judge it in the Holy Ghost, you who are spiritual, and keep what's good. And if they have a life that doesn't support that kind of prophecy or they're just not the person that should be receiving, giving that kind of prophecy, keep the good. Because God can speak through many ways. He can speak through a donkey if he wants to. So guess what? If you will take the good and cast out what is not good, you are letting the Holy Ghost work in your life. You're letting God work. Even though it would seem that it wouldn't be a proper source, God can still use it. I've had people tell me stuff on the way out of our church before and say, blah, 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 you need to do this, you need to do that. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. Was it the right source? No, they were leaving the church with the wrong attitude. But guess what? God spoke to me because I had a tender enough heart to hear what God was saying through an unlikely source. Amen. So God may have a manager that you don't like. Oh, I better not preach this. God may have somebody that's next to you at a desk at work. And every time their cell phone goes off, it goes, it goes, burn it down, burn it down, burn it down. That's their alarm. Burn it down. This happened to me this week. Alarm went off for 30 minutes. Burn it down. Burn it down. That was their alarm voice. That was their alarm sound. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That annoyance. But you know what? That same person can speak into my life because I'm willing to listen to what the Lord would say through any vessel. Amen, somebody. So don't quench the spirit when someone prophesies. Number two, a way that you quench the spirit is neglecting our gifts neglecting our gifts because the gift giver is the Holy Spirit. You see this in 1 Timothy 4.15 and then you can compare it to 2 Timothy 1.6. I am rapidly running out of time, but you can see it. If you put up 1 Timothy 4.15 very quickly for me, help me, media team. Let's go fast. Mediate... Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Go to the next verse that I have there, 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on by the putting on of my hands. In other words, he said, stir it up. Another translation says, stir it into a fire. In other words, if it's a fire when it's stirred up, when you use your gift, he wants you to use it until it becomes useful to the Holy Ghost in fire, then not using your gift in the church is quenching the Holy Ghost. You can study that out yourself. Number three, shutting down your emotions is quenching the Holy Ghost. If you sit there with your arms folded and everybody else is responding to the presence of God, you are quenching the spirit of God by your own lack of involvement. It is important that we understand that we cannot ultimately quench the spirit of God. You have to understand that in this, per, in this particular topic that I'm hitting right here where you shut down your emotions and you won't respond, God is sovereign. He can overrun our will if he wants to, but God is beautiful and gentle in that he gives us a choice. We can sit like a bump on a pickle all day in church and not have any feeling of the move of God while someone over here is dancing in the altar and celebrating God. You can have the greatest move of God on this side of the room and no move of God on that side of the room. Why? Because God allows us to respond to his spirit with our spirit. And if you sit with your arms folded and say, go ahead, move me, preacher. Go ahead, show me how God is good. Go ahead and try me, preacher. Let me see you work it in into a, a, a fervor of anointing no, I'm not here because I have the anointing. I'm here because God puts the anointing on me. In other words, if I quench the spirit in any way, I, know I have to stand and tell you that God will hold me accountable as a pastor. And I believe that our emotions are involved. I believe it's not over emotionalism. I believe that we have to let God do his work. And number four, Resisting the Spirit, resisting the fruit of the Spirit, the behavior that comes from the fruit. You'll find this in Ephesians 4 and 20. If you are constantly having anger flare-ups and wrath and, and malice and bitterness and hatred, it's addressed in this scripture, Ephesians 4 and verse 20. And then the fifth thing is, one is resisting the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. And five is bitterness. Please put that verse up there for me. 
Ephesians 4 and 30. Thank you. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieving and quenching is a very similar thing in the scriptures. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. And there's a place in my heart when I began to pray as a young minister. I watched a sermon that really affected me. And that sermon has always been in my life. And I've known my entire life, hear me carefully, I've known my entire life that bitterness can take out ministers. I've known that. And I have been cautious and diligent, but there are places where I find the Holy Ghost speaking to me like this has gone too far. You've let this live too long. I remember I was sitting in a group of ministers. Sarah, will be, Sarah was in another room, but... We were in a group of ministers, and my name was up for the youth president of the state of Wisconsin. And I was in a battle off. I was battling John David Putnam. It was me and him, and we were in a fight for the presidency. And I was like, you know what? I have dreams. I have hopes. I have aspirations. I want to minister to the youth of the state of Wisconsin. I'm excited about this. And when my name fell down and someone else rose up, the youth president at the time turned around. He's right in front of me, and he said, that's not a vote against you. That is a vote for someone else, but that's not a vote against you. And I said, how can it not be a vote against me? They said they didn't want me is what they said. I'm un I had this spirit of bitterness try to rise up in me. And you know what my flesh said? Stand up and walk out. Don't ever come back to another minister meeting in this state. That's what my flesh said. But I sat there. It hurt, but I sat there. And I talked to other ministers, and I talked to other people, and I let the Lord work on me. And I contributed to the ministry of that youth president. We were brought in underneath him, and we did everything we could to support him. You know how you handle bitterness? Number one is find a place to serve. Find a place to serve until the bitterness leaves. Just keep serving and keep serving. Keep putting yourself under the mission of God that's ahead of you. And some of you bought into the vision, the mission of this church. I thank you for that. But just keep serving and keep living out the things that God wants you to do. And when you serve God without a title and serve God without recognition, eventually God will find a place in you where he can unload great ministry opportunity. I'm not saying you gotta preach. I'm just saying that God will find you in a place where you didn't think you could stand, where you didn't think you had strength to be, but you will find yourself in a healed place if you just keep serving the Lord. And the other thing you have to do if you want to get out of bitterness today, some of you may be carrying some in your heart, I am closing this Bible. <laughs> because my grandfather got out of bitterness and the way that he got out was he just began to serve where he could. And the second thing is he put God first again. I don't know if you're coming in last. I don't know if you're in a position where you thought I'd be a whole lot further down the road than I am right now. But I promise you this. He says the last shall be first. According to men, you may be the last person. You may be the last one to succeed. You may be the last one that they thought would ever get anywhere. But their last will be perfect for you because it will be God's first. The Bible says that he will give you the desires of your heart. If you put your heart in God and not let it be bitter, he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, the place where you end up, others may say that's so far down from where you should be, but that will be the perfect place for you in God because he will make it perfect in your life. I've watched some of you come from different places, different churches, and I've watched you blossom. I've seen more smiles on your face than I've ever seen before. Some of you came in and you were so closed off. You were impervious to even a touch of love. But as God began to minister and to heal you and hope started rising up in your heart, all of a sudden you were okay to a little side hug from pastor. All of a sudden you were okay to a little love. All of a sudden you realized that I'm not going to post something online to stab you in the back. And God help us if we don't understand when we need a first in our life that may be the world's last, but it's still God's first for us. And if we put him first, he'll always make sure you come in your best place in him. 
And so I went through my Bible and I had men sign this Bible. It's coming apart. It doesn't leave the home. It stays in my prayer room at home. Thank God I still have it. But I have Sarah's dad signed here and he said, be faithful and build life spring. Signed, John Englehart. John Lumpkin, once the district superintendent of Louisiana, he signed, God bless you, Brother Lumpkin. I didn't know him very well. He was Anthony Mankin's uh, father-in-law and Mickey Mangan's dad, but he was a man of God. And I had this little thing where I wanted to just fill my Bible full of words from men that lived it their entire life. The super general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, Nathaniel A. Urshan, said, the Lord is a strong tower. For him, no matter what he went through, managing a, a global church, he said, if you have a place to run to in Jesus Christ. When the disciples of John found out that John had been beheaded, they went and buried his body and they went and told Jesus. That's what some of these old patriarchs are writing in my Bible. They said, no matter what happens in your life, don't be bitter. You can be better if you just take it to Jesus. You can't talk to people about some of this stuff because they'll just think that you're just being bitter. And some people actually are happy they're better off than you are. <laughs> But if you take it to Jesus, that's the safest place to share it. And then my grandfather wrote this, the Lord is my strength forever. Reverend Joseph, church planter, Clifton Beam. His legacy lives because he went back to Jesus. Brother Davis, Macon, Georgia, a place known for spawning off huge storms. Said, love the word always, Jodon. God bless you. And good job. <laughs> he didn't even know what kind of job I was doing, but he said, good job. Brother Mooney, may God bless you always. Call on the name of the Lord. Keep the faith. He always said that. Keep the faith. Because you're going to need the faith. You got to keep it. Amen. Let's stand together. I probably don't even know how to close this sermon, but that's okay. I told the Lord that I didn't know if this was the sermon I was supposed to preach because I felt like I was preaching to myself. But whenever we let bitterness rise up, it quenches the spirit. And we cannot ask God to anoint us and flow through us, Brother Reese, if we don't address the bitternesses that are in our hearts because it quenches the spirit. Let's give to the Lord everything that's in our heart. I don't know if I've talked to one person, if I've talked to one person in this room, this sermon is a success and I'll go sit down and I'll just keep loving Jesus but I hope that I've hit more than one. I hope I'm not just preaching to myself. Don't live an entire life and then walk away on God just because it got hard, just because it got difficult. Let the fiery trial mold you and make you into a heart of gold where people look at you and say, how is it possible that she's still sweet or he's still kind or they're still soft after everything you've been through, after everything you've walked through, after everything they've said about you, you can still have a soft spirit. You see, it's that love for each other, that kindness that the world notices. They said they knew that they were the people of God because of their love one toward another. And if you don't deal with your bitterness, you cannot love your brother or sister. The church is better when we get rid of bitter. I'm done talking. Let's pray. Jesus, there's somebody in this room right now. You've brought them to this word today. You've brought them to this message today. They receive it from you. I can see it in their eyes. They receive it from you. They want to change the situation 
It's a spouse right now that's that they're dealing with. It's a it's a husband, it's a wife, it's a situation with a child. Right now they're dealing with they don't know how to be loving and yet be 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 harsh enough, but yet be humble enough to instruct that child, but yet they're still trying and they're and they're dealing with some bitterness over how it's happening. But Lord God, would you help them in their heart? Would you help them in the place where you dwell, Lord Jesus? Would you be the God of all grace? Would you be a God of kindness and mercy? Would you help us today? Lord, we don't want to live a life where we pretend like we're whole, pretend like we're healed. We don't want to live a life where we pretend like we're well, spend an entire life going and coming from church and never actually address the issues of the heart. What a tragedy. Help us not to be those people or someday all of us will stand over their fallen form and say the leaves were so green. They seemed like they had so much life left to live, but yet they fell. And all that's left to do is cord it up into cordwood. And eventually the saw will find the place where the rock goes all the way through, where the bitterness ate the heart out of their life. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, a prayer of prophecy, and I pray that everybody in this house receives it. Make us like David said, the palm tree, where the life is at the center of you, Jesus. Where a palm tree has its life in the center, it can be bent over by the wind, it can be bent over by the storm, and it will just stand back up again. I pray, and prophetically I pray it, that there is a spirit of resilience, there is a spirit of grit that comes over the heart of any man or woman that needs strength or courage from God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak that their life and their hope and their healing is so buried in you, Jesus, that no matter what trial comes against them, no matter what struggle comes against them, no matter who leaves them or who stays, you will always give them strength to stand back up and to keep going. In Jesus' name, the righteous are like the palm. They flourish. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let a flourishing spirit wash over somebody. They came to this service feeling like they were about to fall and to let go. But today we wrap our root system around them.